0: We've designed our workforce, our lives around this normalized. This is how everybody's supposed to live. It just doesn't apply to everybody. We're a spectrum of human beings. If your sleep tracker doesn't look like it's in tidy 90-minute increments, that doesn't mean you're a bad sleeper. That sleep switch is actually attached to a change of temperature. Getting colder, your hypothalamus then says, awesome, these neurons are triggered, so I release melatonin. You want to create a change of temperature, but you want to create one that feels good because
1: you're Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. Super excited for today's episode. It's with the founder of a company that creates a product, which is one of those products that
2: has honestly changed my life. It's one of those things where I honestly can't imagine my life before it. And if somebody said they were taking it away, I would probably just have a miniature freak out moment. If after listening to the episode, you'd like to purchase a ChiliPad unit for yourself, ChiliPad does have an amazing offer just for my listeners. Just go to ChiliPad.com and you can use the code MA25 for 25% off the ChiliPad or the code MA15 for 15% off their ULUR, which is their new upgraded ChiliPad. Game changer. I'll put all that information in the show notes. The show notes will be at MelanieAvalon.com slash ChiliPad. And by the way, those show notes now have complete transcripts of the entire episode, so hopefully that can be an amazing resource for you guys. I am a Himalaya-partnered show, and if you follow the Melanie
1: Avalon Biohacking Podcast in the Himalaya app, you'll get early access to the podcast 24 hours in advance, so definitely check that out. Also, please join me in my Facebook community, that is PaleoOMAD Biohackers, real foods plus intermittent fasting
2: plus life. We discuss everything there. I recently just had a request there to have an interview with the founder of Chili Pad. So here we are. You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm still super shy about Instagram, but I am trying to post more, especially with products and things that I use that I think might be helpful for you guys. So definitely follow me there. One more sleep hack for those of you interested in optimizing your sleep. There's one sleep supplement that I wholeheartedly support to help you drift off. I had Dr. Kirk Parsley on another episode to discuss the science of sleep. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. He's also a major, major fan of chili pad, by the way. He developed a supplement in order to address insomnia in Navy SEALs, who are basically the creme de la creme for insomnia problems. His supplement Sleep Remedy is amazing because it's not a pharmaceutical drug that knocks you out. Rather, it provides the specific nutrients your brain actually needs to instigate the sleep state. So it's completely natural, but it just provides the building blocks so you can effortlessly drop off to sleep. It's a game changer for so many people and I cannot recommend it enough. You can go to sleepremedy.com to get it and using the code Melanie Avalon will get you 10% off your order. Hi friends. So I've been so excited about today's episode. I've been looking forward to it for quite a while. I am here with Tara Youngblood. She is... Okay, she has one of the coolest titles ever. She is a fusion scientist, which... (laughs) just sounds really amazing. But her forte, she's really involved in the future of sleep and how it relates specifically to temperature, which is awesome. She does work in alternative medicine, physics, sleep diagnostics. She works with leading international researchers. She actually wrote and published the leading white paper connecting more than 70 research papers to the effects of temperature on sleep quality, which is awesome. I came to know her through her company, ChiliPad, and ChiliPad makes a device which we will be talking about in this podcast, which is one of the things that truly revolutionized my life personally. I mean that from the bottom of my heart, and I don't know what I would do if somebody took it away from me now. So thank you so much for being here, Tara. I'm really excited to um, dive in deep with you today.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I'm self-labeled as a sleep geek, so I can talk sleep all day. Two things that I'm obsessed with,
2: sleep and the benefits and the power of cold therapy, which if somebody were to ask me like, what lifestyle hack or lifestyle environmental factor did I find personally most beneficial for my life, I think it actually would be cold therapy. I can't even express just intuitively, the feelings I get from that. And so combining that with sleep and the implications there is just profound to me.
0: I absolutely agree. I'm sure we'll get into the the depths of the science of it, but for anyone that hasn't tried it, and it sounds, you know, the immediate response I get when I mention cold therapy a lot is like, oh, that sounds cold, and it is. But there are huge benefits in, involved if you can talk your brain into doing it.
2: Yeah, I love it. So it finally got a little bit cold here in Georgia these past few days, and it just feels so good to me. When it happens, when it does get a little bit colder, I go outside in like shorts and a t-shirt, and I'm just like, yes. So I know that can sound a little bit crazy, but even things like cold showers, and I've just always intuitively felt that there was something going on there, and now I feel like the research and the science really does support that. So to start things off, I'm dying to know, did you start... With an interest in cold therapy and sleep and something else entirely. What is your background and what led you to where you are today and as well as developing the company Chili Pad?
0: Yeah. So as you mentioned in the title, fusion scientists, fusion actually has nothing to do with sleep. It's the energy that the sun does. And fusion is sort of the opposite of what happens in a nuclear reactor, which is fission. And originally when I graduated, I had hoped to bring fusion and a cleaner energy to to the world. But fusion is a very tough process. It's been described as holding jello with elastic bands, trying to make it happen. It's coming back around. There's a few more places that are really working on it. There's some hybrid reactors in China, but unfortunately it was not a huge pursuant when I graduated. So I, I kind of fundled around trying to figure out what my life's passion would be if it wasn't going to fix the world's energy. And in about 2007, my husband and I came up with the idea for the chili. Now his uncle invented the waterbed and we had brought other products to market. So at that point, it was a, an idea that was more about comfort and adjusting thermostats similar to, honestly, the idea came from microclimate control in cars where a driver and a passenger can have different temperatures. We slept at very different temperatures. So that seemed like a good solution. But once we started playing around with temperature, we would get calls of this was life changing and it's making a really big difference. And I, as a scientist, couldn't resist, well, what was really happening here? What's happening in our bodies that makes this really work? You know, I had always struggled with sleep and insomnia and, you know, figuring out. What would become sort of my recipe for sleep and how to hack sleep and and how to use this temperature in the most effective way really became my absolute passion. It's all I worked on, thousands and thousands of research papers and books and, and trying to get to the heart of how this mechanism works in the brain. That's sort of what I spent the last 10 plus years on.
2: I mean, it's kind of perfect because I know you said that initially you were interested in, you know, fixing the energy production or energy crisis of the world. But I feel like in addressing people's sleep, that's a a roundabout and almost more direct way of addressing energy issues because it's our
0: personal energy health (laughs) It is. It's 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 been a fun transition that way. It doesn't you know, it kind of still feels like it fulfills that original passion about changing the world's energy. Absolutely. If we sleep better, we have better energy and all the way down to our cellular level.
2: I love that so much. So I guess if we can get a foundation here to start with as far as sleep goes. I know sleep itself, we could talk for like 10 hours. I will put a link in the show notes. I had a very in depth conversation with Dr. Kirk Parsley, who is a sleep expert, and we did go deep into sleep there. So, a link there for listeners to listen as well. So, sleep and the various sleep stages, I guess, independent even of temperature, are there any foundational ideas that you'd like to put out there as far as what you see sleep to be? Because I know, like, people often say that we don't even know still what sleep is. So what is your perspective of sleep?
0: Yeah. So to sort of add on to that, sleep is a really new science. It's hard to believe that something we do for a third of our lives is so brand new as a field in medicine, as a field in, in really in research and studying. I like to talk about it in terms of you can actually go to school and get degrees in nutrition or fitness or sports medicine. But up until 2013, I think was the first one that there was actually an undergraduate degree you could get in sleep or sleep disorders and technicians. So it's it's really brand, that brand new. And so, yes, it's so evolving and there's all sorts of new information coming out all the time, which I think makes it, for me anyway, as a scientist, super exciting to be part of all that new research. But sleep itself is, there's parts of it that are really basic and there's parts that are elusive and we're really trying to find out about the basic parts of sleep that will help you to understand so you can get the most out of this podcast or that, you know, generally sleep is broken up into REM sleep, which is rapid eye movement. Most people have heard of that. That's the stage where honestly your eyes are moving. And a lot of your brainwave activity actually mimics being awake, sort of a high level of of where your brain activity is. Because again, it's very similar to being awake. The other part of sleep has been kind of grouped into this non-REM sleep. And in that you can break it down. There's lots of different ways to describe it. I think the easiest way is just light sleep and deep sleep. And these three different types of sleep happen throughout the night. You know, it's always hard. People show me their trackers all the time and say, well, my cycle isn't a 90 minute cycle. And when you look at the pictures online of what an ideal sleep cycle looks like, light sleep goes down to deep and comes back up to REM. And it's in this 90 minute, bucket of, of cycle. We're all so individual. So if your sleep tracker doesn't look like it's in nice, neat, tidy, 90-minute increments, that doesn't mean you're a bad sleeper. It just means we're all a little bit different that way. But those cycles exist throughout the night. And that's pretty good overview, I think, of that's what's happening while you're sleeping. I actually have a question about those sleep cycles. This
2: is something I wonder all the time. So say a person goes through a given amount of sleep cycles in the night. Will sleep be any more or less quote refreshing if the person is aware of waking up between cycles? So like say a person has, you know, three 90 minute cycles and they seemingly sleep through like all three of them and they don't consciously wake up at any point compared to a person who wakes up seemingly you know, every 90 minutes or so, does that mean their sleep quality is not as good as the person who doesn't remember waking up in between the cycles?
0: Yeah. So when you wake up in between your cycles or or throughout the night, that's called fragmented sleep. Depending on how fragmented that sleep is, the more it is, the the worse it is for for what you feel like in the morning. The one caveat with that is that ambient, a lot of those sleep medications that you can get through prescription, they actually are hallucinogens. And so they will actually block out the fact that you wake up between those cycles so that your sleep is fragmented. So you won't have have a, a conscious sense that you're waking up during those times but you still won't feel as rested and and that's that's where that mismatch comes from. So if you're without medication, you're waking up, yes, it's going to be bad on your sleep and even if you're taking an an Ambien type drug, you may still get fragmented sleep, you just won't remember that it is. So that fragmentation is really important. I do think that the research is showing that, you know, deep sleep and REM sleep are the two sleep stages that will have a biggest impact on that feeling of being rested and recovery. Deep sleep, actually a little bit more than REM sleep. And that's just on their functions of what they do for recovery. Deep sleep is is really focused on a lot of that physical recovery, it's memory, it's high level cognitive, but it's not prefrontal cortex as much where it's it's not really about your conscious state. Having those balances is important because REM sleep, a lot of what's sort of worked on or, or repaired during there is it's your emotional state. That's where a lot of your dreams and things where there are happening so you can recover emotionally, as well as your ability to manage risk lives in that REM sort of state as well. And a lot of this is pretty new research. So they're, they're trying to tag these two different sleep stages. But you, you know, the overall feeling of you wake up, you feel amazing. Some of it is based on duration, based on who you are and, and how old you are. But the biggest factor is that quality. And it's it's trying to aim for that two hours of deep sleep and two hours of REM sleep, in your ideal sleep window.
2: That's really fascinating. And actually, there's another question that's been haunting me. I've been doing a lot of research on meditation, actually, for an upcoming episode. And I've heard it posited that we cannot both be, quote, asleep or resting in both our mind and body at the same time, because from an evolutionary perspective, We need to be able to respond to the environment. And so it was positing that while we're sleeping at night, it's actually our body is still quote awake, but our mind is resting compared to meditation where our mind is awake and our body is resting. Hi friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th annual biohacking conference. I found the solution and guess what? I have a discount for you guys. So the founder of a company called Soul Shine reached out to me and he was like, do you know about the importance of full spectrum light? And I was like, you know what? I've been wondering about this for quite a while. Please educate me. Oh my goodness, this man blew my mind. I talk a lot about the problems of blue light. That said, we evolved in natural full spectrum sunlight that our genes are programmed to respond to. And today we do not spend enough time in that light. A lot of us don't go outside and we're overexposed to blue light. It's a problem. And then to make things even more problematic, the common sad lights that I was talking about that are bright white, they actually do not contain the full spectrum light. They filter out certain wavelengths and they're high in blue light. So just like I thought it was not doing my health, and we'll put all this information in the show notes. Do you have thoughts on that at all, or is it not that simple?
0: I wouldn't say it's quite that simple. And here's the thing. It's tied a little bit more to that sleep state. A lot of meditations can achieve similar brain waves to mimic deep sleep, for example, so that there's a crossover on what your brain is doing. Now, that's generally a higher level person that has done meditation for a long time, has great control. They'll be able to choose that state more easily than someone that just puts on headspace and you know, gives it a turn. So I think that there's a pretty wide. I, I like to use the word spectrum, but there's a pretty big spectrum in what meditation is and what it can do. It's a very powerful tool, but it only mimics and can be compared to sleep and, and what your brain waves are doing and what recovery from stress and some of those other factors that happen during sleep. It can mimic that sleep. You know, there's a lot of postulation on the fact that whether we're dormant or not in sleep. The interesting thing about sleep from an evolutionary perspective is that it was such an, a vital part of our body systems that across the board, all mammals, for example, have carried this need to sleep. It goes into birds and, and even reptiles need that off time. This this idea of being shut down is so important to our bodies that it doesn't really matter if we're shut down or not. I think one of the ways in which that's actually managed evolutionary wise is in the fact that we have different chronotypes and we have different body clocks on when it's ideal for us to sleep. When you look at a morning person's schedule as compared to a night person's schedule, they're going to be offset. And I think that that's how evolution actually took care of that dormant state on how dormant we are. And part of that goes into, during deep sleep, we're probably the most dormant. That's the start of our sleep cycle. And so when you, and it's like I said, you're still going through all those different sleep cycles, but that window for deep sleep, the probability of deep sleep is much heavier in the first half of the night. But that clock starts for that chronotype at a certain time. And it doesn't, it changes. So as a morning person, it's more like between nine and 10, versus a night owl that can be between one and two as late as that on the other end of the spectrum. And when you stagger sleep throughout a human tribe or herd of people, the risk of dormancy becomes way less. There's always someone that is in a higher state of awareness than others. In REM sleep zone, which is much more that second half of the night, you're, it's much easier to wake up and have small disturbances. So your your risk of full dormancy isn't quite the same. So it's it's not across all sleeps. It's pretty specific. And I think that how we've evolved evolutionary-wise actually manages it pretty well.
2: Oh my goodness. You made me so happy. (laughs) I'm so happy to know that it sounds like you subscribe to the idea that there are night people. I am haunted or like night
0: owls. (laughs) It's actually genetics. There's actually, it's called PER3, but there's a gene that governs our night owls and morning people and what's called our chronotype. And that is absolutely true. It's it's genetics. You can take questions that will get you to what that answer is, but the length of that gene absolutely determines when you should go to sleep, what your body clock setting is on when it starts and stops. To me, that's one of the biggest, most powerful pieces of information that anyone wanting to manage their own health needs to know beyond sleep, beyond anything. This clock measures, you can tell when your highest blood pressure is going to be to when you should go to the bathroom, to when you should eat big meals versus small and exercise, be most creative, be most productive, highest cognitive load. All of those windows are attached to this genetically driven clock that exists in our bodies and once you know when your clock is looking for different things all of the health initiatives that you will work on in your life will be more effective
2: okay i'm like breathing a sigh of relief (laughs) just because i am such an extreme night owl. And I want to be a morning person so bad. And I kind of live with this sense of guilt that I shouldn't be a night person or I should be a morning person. And it's funny. I'll talk to my mom about how I feel I'm trying to be a morning person. She's like, Melanie, you're a
0: night person. Accept it. It's okay. I am so all about that. There's such a sense of damnation around sleep. I feel like that's the biggest part of my mission is to provide hope around this Dilemma of sleep because we've designed our workforce, our lives are all supposed to be around this normalized. This is how everybody's supposed to live. This is how everyone's supposed to work. This is everybody's schedule. And it it just doesn't apply to everybody. We're a spectrum of human beings. We're not a single human that functions all in the same way. And as soon as you say everyone needs eight hours, Everyone doesn't need eight hours. It's not true. It's just not true. Now, some people will need eight hours, but some people will need a lot less, and some people may need even a little bit more. And some people can take naps, and some people can have a polyphasic schedule where they're napping on and off, and they only sleep three or four hours. But most of us couldn't do that, but certain people can, and it's really... You're missing out on so much information when you give one data point as this is the way it's supposed to be. And sleep is all focused, all the tips, all the information are focused on a single data point of this is the way it's supposed to be.
2: I am loving this. Okay. I did have one quick follow-up question before circling back to the the temperature aspect of things. You're mentioning that evolutionary benefits to the different chronotypes. So from the evolutionary perspective, is it because there would be certain types of people that have these different rhythms so there would always be somebody awake, like in the quote tribe? Is that the reasoning?
0: There is. You know, there's limited studies because, you know, obviously we're not, there's not that many tribal hunter-gatherer type societies to look at, but there has been some really great research on how they slept and how they managed those different things. And although there's limited studies on it, there are studies and and that's what the studies would point to for sure. Obviously, I haven't lived with a caveman, so I couldn't tell you for sure, but it would make sense to me why there would be a divergence in when we go to sleep and when we, how much sleep we need that all makes sense. Because if we have to sleep, if that's a mandated part, if it's as mandated as breathing and eating and sex and all of those mandated parts of our structure of our day, it would make sense that we'd have to find a way to, as a herd, prevent ourselves from being eaten during that time.
2: That's fantastic. And then what about the idea that the, quote, night owls, that they have a naturally longer circadian rhythm and that's... What perpetuates that staying up later? Is there science there as well?
0: The night owls I mean, all of it's linked to the length of that gene. And so the fact that your circadian rhythm as a night person doesn't seem to be in sync is really more a benefit uh, or a, a factor of figuring out when do you need to sleep. So depending on the night owl, and again, as soon as you get into the night owl spectrum, the flexibility on your schedule is amazing. As someone that's such a morning person, my schedule as a morning person has so much less flexibility in it I'm really in trouble. So even when I travel, I don't take naps. Well, you know those sort of things that a night owl can do and mess with and figure out. I'm guessing that it's not your schedule is actually not longer. It just has different flexibility in it. As a female, it also may have. There's limited evidence because they don't study females and sleep very much. It's one of my other pet peeves. But I'm guessing that. Your cycle, your lunar cycle is also messing with your night owl schedule because your flexibility changes and it's, you know, circadian rhythm is tied to core body temperature and that's affected as well in how you react to different things. So your core body temperature fluctuates with your lunar cycle for women and that can also mess with what you're looking for in sleep.
2: Fantastic. Oh, I am loving this, loving this conversation. Okay. So glad we did circle back to the temperature because that's obviously a huge part or a huge factor here. So independent of sleep even, well, this is a question for you because we're talking about how even with sleep cycles that they can be so different between individuals when it comes to temperature fluctuations during the day and night. Is there a general template or trajectory that temperature naturally follows for any given person as it goes throughout the day and night? And does that also relate to their personal circadian rhythm?
0: Yes. So your temperature fluctuates throughout the day. And again, it depends on whether you're a morning person when that lowest point is. It's sometime in the middle of the night. Obviously, as a a morning person, my middle of the night is more two to four. As a night person, your your middle of the night may actually be what the modern world likes to talk about is like more like six or seven, which a lot of people be like, oh, I should be waking up then. It can even go later than that, depending on when that person goes to sleep and when their their sleep drive starts so your temperature in your brain is part of your hypothalamus which is the oldest part of your brain not because your that part of your brain's older like you chronologically and your your body, but is evolutionary wise. That's where your heart, your breathing, your unconscious involuntary responses live. Temperature lives there. So the temperature cues and also the light cues where people will talk about lighting and sleep also live in that same spot. But the neurons, they're called VLPO neurons. They are actually excited or triggered. It's been called or coined a sleep switch by Clifford Sapier out of Harvard. So if you want to geek out on on those neurons, you can follow him. But that sleep switch is actually attached to a change of temperature. So when your body registers, just like it's got a little thermal sensor, like you would imagine in a device, when that sets off, it says, oh, there's a change of temperature. It's getting colder. I really should be thinking about going to sleep. Your hypothalamus then says, awesome, these neurons are triggered. So I release melatonin. I release other sort of sleep hormones that are going to start settling you down for sleep. And Jerome Siegel out of UCLA first really tied this really tightly to a hunter-gatherer study, ironically, that it wasn't light that was the heavier trigger for this going to sleep, it was temperature because the light had already started to dim and that dimming of the temperature or the dimming of the lights can help and certain people are going to be more sensitive to that. It goes to the spectrum. But for a lot of people that the temperature is actually a much heavier weighting in your body of a trigger on when to start that sleep.
2: And so that temperature, you know, the colder temperature instigating the sleep well, the sleep patterns, what is that actual temperature? Because it seems like freezing temperatures, for example, seem to be more stimulating, at least for me personally. Is it just a cooler temperature? Is it a very cold temperature? Is there a spectrum?
0: There is a spectrum. So, If you think about the hunter-gatherer, they weren't in a constant temperature environment. Part of where we are today, we don't really think about temperature as if we were living outdoors. We think about our temperature when we live in a constant environment. I think the average temperature that people keep their houses in in the U.S. is like between 68 and 72, and that temperature is the same all year round, all day. There isn't any change, and very likely, you'll go from that temperature being in your house to that temperature being at your office. And it doesn't elicit any change. And I think we started out this conversation of like sort of the discomfort that you can imagine with cold therapy. But that discomfort, that change of temperature, it doesn't have to be a, a significant one. It can be a few degrees. For some people, again, back to that spectrum, it may be a lot more. Some people actually will be triggered by warming up as they climb into their sort of cocoon of their bed. There's a, a definitely a personal part of what change of temperature will trigger that sleep state. But if you think about it, all of us will intrinsically, if you ask someone, because this is a big question I get asked is what temperature do I need to set my chili pad at? Or what do I need to start? And really it boils down to, well, what makes you feel comfortable? What's going to, you know, we're looking for the release of serotonin, which is a reduction in anxiety. It's a feel good factor that, that helps lull us to sleep. And so, You want to create a change of temperature, but you want to create one that feels good because we want to feel safe to fall asleep. Partly, it does go back to, well, if I feel safe and I feel good, then it's the right temperature and I go to sleep. That all makes sense based on our conversation so far.
2: Hi, friends. I hope you're enjoying this fascinating conversation with Tara. So as we discuss... Our light exposure is huge for regulating our circadian rhythm and our sleep. So while ChiliPad can regulate your sleep temperature and completely change your sleep, what are you going to do about your light exposure? Yeah, I actually keep my apartment at 64 all the time. (laughs) We keep our our house cooler too. I think it's better. But when I moved to Atlanta from LA, I was in the summer and I was keeping it 64 and I got my first electric bill and I was like, oh my goodness (laughs) (laughs) gracious. That was a fun time. I do have a question about, okay, the hypothalamus and the body temperature and sleep. What is the difference between the environmental temperature that you're experiencing versus how you feel on the inside versus the actual body temperature? Because I feel like there are so many different situations. Like you could have a person who feels really hot, but they're in a really cold environment. You could have a person who is in a hot environment, but they feel cold. You could have a person who feels hot, but actually their body temperature might be lower, like, you know, a hot flash type situation. So when the hypothalamus is interpreting these temperatures, is it interpreting all of these factors? Is it more based on like your actual literal body temperature, more on the environment? What's the nuance there?
0: Yeah. So it is. It's really hard. You have to separate. And and to put it in perspective, it's not that different than your house. So your thermostat, which is what, that's what's located in your hypothalamus that controls the temperature. And when your house says it's 64 degrees, for example, it's because that thermostat, now it could be 68 degrees in your sunroom because you're getting direct sunlight and it's a little warmer there, or it could be a little colder because it's wintertime and that cold air is sneaking in your windows, but the thermostat is what is registering what that environmental temperature and it's making decisions on the heating structure based on what that's reading there. And so the access to the the hypothalamus comes more on. Ironically, they'll actually register light also through your ears, but it's more of different parts of your body will all contribute to this Amalgamated, this is what's registering a difference in temperature. So it's kind of all of those things come into factor as far as measuring it a little bit. Your core body temperature is what we're trying to influence with sleep. And that's more like the temperature of your, you know, heart and lungs and, you know, inside your rib cage kind of stuff. And that's not easily influenced by the environment, but it's a good measurement of where your circadian rhythm is. And the only way to test that is really with a thermometer and your body, because Depending on how much insulation we all have, and we like to call insulation insulation instead of fat because it feels friendlier. But you know how much insulation you have, how your what your kind of circulation is, will all influence how fast the environmental temperature will get to your core body temperature. So the temperature on your skin is called your basal temperature, and that's more like that has a, a higher impact on like how cold your hands feel or what if you need to warm up your feet. You're influencing your basal temperature. And that can have a different influence based on your metabolism and your you know, circulation. There's a lot of factors that influence that as well and how fast that temperature translates. And I think that really what comes down to is our thermostats are a little bit faulty, because they're measuring from inside the brain and looking for all of those different inputs and that really comes you see it like the moment you're sick you run a fever when our hormones are in flux that's when women are having hot flashes when our lunar cycle is going through its hormones our temperature gets wonky of all of the sensors in our body it's definitely not the best design one for sure clearly evolution didn't think it was that important for some reason but it is definitely the the hardest to nail down as One to one ratio of if this, then that.
2: Yeah, it's so fascinating. And like one of the reasons I was thinking about it more was I was interviewing David Sinclair on this podcast, and he has a book, Lifespan. He talks a lot about um, cold therapy in that book as well. But one of the things he was talking about, and it's not temperature, but he was talking about studies on like appetite and hunger and the health benefits due to like calorie restriction and things like that. And in some of the studies they found, I think it was rodent trials, but they found that the perception of hunger was actually important. So like when the rodents didn't, even though they were calorie restricted, if they didn't feel hungry, they didn't achieve necessarily the same amount of benefits. And I was wondering in my head if that extended to temperature as well with like cold therapy or something. What if you are cold, but you feel hot because of, you know, hot flashes or whatever. So I just, it's so fascinating to me.
0: I think the best way to tie that part to sleep is actually not as much with temperature, but our sleep outcomes. So, you know, this is kind of ties into, everyone asks me, well, do you use a sleep tracker? What do you think about sleep trackers? I do use an aura ring, but I, I really struggle with this sense of sleep trackers. There's such a wide range of people and sleep trackers and how accurate they are. And I also feel like a lot of them don't close the loop and say, okay, it's so sad you had a really bad sleep and you just started your day. So if you had a really bad sleep, there's actually things that you can do to sort of manage the output of your day and and manage your day more effectively because you at least got that information. And I don't feel like they do a good job of not just leaving you with, by the way, you suck today. And then you're stuck with, okay, well, what does that mean? And how can I, fix it like when you're in passion to fix it first thing in the morning you get to the night and you're like well my sleep was terrible last night i'm not sure what i should do differently because you're now tired from not recovering the night before, you've had a long day and they're leaving you with, I guess I'll just track it and hopefully it'll come out differently. We're not closing that loop on how to fix things and empower people that even when their sleep is bad, they know how to fix it. Instead, we just keep telling them they're bad. And that that is really damning to insomnia. And that creates a horrible cycle of insomnia is I can't be successful at sleep. So I'm going to put it off and I go to sleep later. I actually treat sleep worse when I think I'm sleeping badly than the opposite, where if I'm not sleeping well, I should sleep treat it better and put more time into fixing it because we're we're not closing that damning loop that comes with sleep
2: one hundred percent, I could not agree more. That's one of the reasons I stopped using a sleep tracking device that I was using because. I realized I just fixated on what it told me. And then I defined my day based on what it told me. Whereas I'd rather, like you said, implement these habits and make these changes that will support my sleep rather than being told whether or not I I did a good job or not. They've done studies on that, too. I'm sure you've seen them where participants are told that they had good sleep, they perceive having more energy regardless of whether or not they
0: did. So I could not agree more there. Just one more note on that is if you are using one, just keep in mind that it's a three-day window on sleep, especially anything that's measuring HRV, resting heart rate, all of those can be affected by things that you did during your day, like how late you drank alcohol. They can be affected if you're about to come down with a cold. You can see that in an HRV curve a few days before, even if you have no other symptoms. So there could be all these other factors that are influencing your sleep and giving you a poor score and you don't even know about them. So just to keep in mind if you are using them, to which is not a problem, just just keep it with a grain of salt.
2: Hi friends, I am so excited to tell you about something that I am obsessed with that can revolutionize your health, help with stress levels, support longevity, and really help you when you go out and are having a bit of wine or drinks or all the things. And I'm going to tell you how to get $100 off. So I've been talking about the role of NAD in our health for so long. NAD stands for nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. It is a coenzyme that is involved in so many processes in our body, including energy production and DNA repair, and it is depleted by things like stress, aging, lack of sleep, alcohol, and of course, too much partying. In fact, a lot of researchers believe that declining NAD levels is one of the key factors in aging. That's why I have been really interested in boosting and supporting NAD levels, and I have tried all the things. You can take precursors to NAD called NR and NMN. I still take NMN. However, I am much more alert by directly giving your body NAD, and historically, the most common way to do that that is accessible to people was through NAD IVs and NAD shots. I actually never did an NAD IV for a few reasons. One, they are extraordinarily expensive. Two, I've been doing the shots, which I liked because they were easy to do. That said, they always made me feel a little bit unwell right afterwards. And I've heard that the IV makes a lot of people feel unwell. So if the shots were making me feel unwell and that was going into the muscle first is like a barrier. I can't even imagine what putting it straight into my bloodstream would have done. Plus with the IVs, you have to sit there for potentially hours. So basically IVs were a no go for me. So like I said, I was doing the shots, but I was like, I wish there was an easier way to do this. Then a company called Ion Layer reached out to me anti-aging help with your stress help with lack of sleep and or optimize your partying you need these patches friends and i'm so excited because working with the company has been amazing and they are giving you guys 100 off which is incredible so to get that discount just go to melanieavalon.com slash ion layer that's i-o-n-l-a-y-e-r and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 100 off your first order. I cannot recommend these enough. I'm going to use them for the unforeseeable future, probably for the rest of my life. It's literally just become part of my arsenal now. Like when I'm getting ready to go out, usually once a week, put on my NAD patch. And even if I don't go out that week, I still like to do one once weekly. Oh, P.S. They're also amazing for traveling. You guys know I'm not a big traveler. I've been doing more traveling recently and I wear these on the plane there and back. Game changer. Although it's really fun at TSA, especially because I already opt out and don't go through the scanner code Melanie Avalon for $100 off. Hi friends. One of the most valuable things that I do every single night of my life is my infrared sauna session. The brand that I use is Sunlighten. Farm Direct beans for their quality, their superb flavor, and their elevated performance. I love the taste of it. It's much richer and more nuanced than Bulletproof coffee. It's honestly one of the best coffees I've ever tasted, and it's so exciting to know that when I'm drinking it, I'm actually helping to remineralize my body. So that's right, if you want your coffee to contain antioxidants, anti inflammatories, micronutrients, and help optimize your fasting, you want danger coffee. And of course I have a discount for you guys. You can go to melanieavalon.com slash danger coffee and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 10% off. Again, that is melanieavalon.com slash danger coffee with the coupon code melanieavalon for 10% off. This is my favorite coffee. Like I said, it takes some really good coffee and convincing biohacking health reasons to break me from my 10 year decade bulletproof coffee habit. But sometimes you just got to upgrade. And by the way, this would make epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee. I love it. Love it so much. And one more quick follow-up question to what you were talking about, and then we can maybe go into the chili pad. You were talking about how some people actually can sleep better, you know, being a little warm before they go to sleep. And I was doing research on this and like learning about the warm bath effect and everything. So is that because of like the safety feelings surrounded to being warm or is it because in warming up, then the compensatory response as your body cools down? I'm also thinking about something like, so I have a, a sauna And I find that if I do that, not directly before sleep, but if I do it in the evening, I seem to sleep so much better that night. And I also feel cooler during the night afterwards. And then the last thing I heard was I actually heard that it was better for naps to be warmer, but at night to be cooler. So two main questions there, I guess. What's going on with the warming up effect before sleep? And then for naps, is it different?
0: Yeah. So I really look at sleep at least at night in three buckets and nap time would be like a fourth bucket. And there is, especially in that bedtime bucket, as I talked about it, there's a fair amount of leeway into who you are. So the spectrum of what triggers you to sleep is going to be different for some people. And I think this is where we get lost in those studies of trying to make a blanket statement. Everybody needs to be warmer to go to sleep. Everybody needs to be cooler. There is no blanket response for this. There is a spectrum of what's going to work for certain people. And if warming yourself up to go to sleep helps you fall asleep, and most of us can sort of, without any complicated machinery, say, yeah, I need to be a little bit warmer to sleep. And then saunas, warm baths, if it is a chili pad, whatever it is, warm yourself up to go to sleep. My husband is so hot nature that for him going into a cooler bed is absolutely what triggers him to sleep. If he got warmed up, he'd be... Well, frankly, hot and bothered and not want to go to sleep. So it's definitely really individual. The other two buckets of the night, like that deep sleep zone that we've talked about, which once you fall asleep, deep sleep really likes it cooler. Because if you're sleeping within your circadian sleep window your deep sleep wants to be cooler. Your body core body temperature is trying to drop two degrees. So that's a lot for your core body temperature of a lot of heat to give off. And so in that window, and this is where the next evolution of the chili pad, the Uller does do that, allows scheduling so you can be cooler for that second for the first half of the night once you're asleep. And when you do that, you can really manipulate deep sleep and get great deep sleep numbers. Deep sleep Diminishes with age. On average, you know, a twenty-year-old can get two hours of deep sleep in an eight-hour window pretty easily. An eighty-year-old may only get seven minutes, which is now why they're putting all this study energy into deep sleep and and the loss of it, and how it's attached to Alzheimer's and co- cognitive loss and toxins in your brain. All those all those heavy things. Deep sleep does when it's gone, or you're not getting it consistently. Consistently, it's attached to a lot of chronic disease. Is. So that first window to be cooler is really important. But then the second half of the night after your body's hit that lowest point for its core body temperature, it's actually trying to rise. And that's similar to the sun coming up and warming the planet. We're trying to warm up for the day. Our body wants to warm up. And if your body stays cold for the people like that set that temperature really cold, the deep sleep can actually cannibalize your REM sleep and you'll just get less REM sleep. So it's really important to keep those in mind and setting your temperature accordingly. You can usually use a programmable thermostat even for your house to do that. But warming awake actually flips off your sleep switch that you hopefully triggered in your bedtime and it'll help you start your day. It releases cortisol instead of melatonin and and kind of helps boost you out of bed. So warming up is, is a good part of like thinking about that. And then your other question was about naps And naps are such a a big topic because someone like a morning person like me is going to really struggle. If they go to do a nap, they're probably not feeling well. And you know they should probably warm up. They may do it from anxiety or stress. And so warming up would work well for them. For a night person where they're trying to capture some deep sleep because their sleep patterns are such that they're not sleeping eight hours as much, or they're truncated because of Work schedule or whatever it is, night people really got to get. The raw end of the deal of having to be at work by eight o'clock, especially if they commute. So, a nap can help. You also have a short dip in your circadian rhythm, in your core body temperature after lunch. That's when a lot of us feel sleepy anyway. That, that drive to nap exists there. A lot of cultures evolved to have siestas during that time. And if you're cooler during that time, you can actually get deep sleep. But again, deep sleep during that time can be really destructive to a morning person. But for a night, night owl or someone towards the night owl spectrum, it will be wonderful. My husband could do that all day. He can love snaps and it's great for him.
2: Okay. Gotcha. So it seems like the takeaway that you've been touching on so much is that it really is very individual and you have to find what works for you. And so for listeners, actually, if you're new to the concept of the chili pad, it it doesn't just get cold. Actually, we haven't even really talked about what it is, so we should probably do that. But it can get cold and warm. And I can't even express, I know I said this at the beginning, but I just can't even express how life-changing this chili pad has been for my life and my sleep. I just can't express enough because basically you put it on your bed and it comes in all these different sizes. So, you know, you can have an individual unit for you, or you can have one that covers the entire bed. Actually, I'll just let you tear. I would like to tell listeners about how it works.
0: Yeah, no problem. So there's a control unit that sits next to your bed or nightstand or under your bed. It sort of depends on bedroom setup, but on your bed is basically a mattress pad with silicone tubes. And in those tubes, we run water underneath you while you sleep. So it goes right underneath your sheets and it maintains whatever temperature you set it at or whatever you've programmed it to. And what happens is it basically helps maintain that temperature under your sheets. Mattresses, especially man-made mattresses with foam, they are notorious for being soft and comfortable, but yet absorbing and then transferring that heat back. So they're putting heat back into that sleep equation. We put blankets over top of ourselves. So even if we're setting our room temperature colder, it doesn't always translate into what's under the covers, how we're interacting with our mattress. And so the chili pad is designed to basically create a, a radiator for your human engine and to help you maintain the temperature you need to for sleep.
2: And listeners, it is amazing. Like, I think I literally have a moment of gratitude every single night when I lay on it and I'm just like, thank you, like, thank you. And I, and I think about the time before I had it and I almost shudder. I'm like, how was I sleeping <laughs> without this device? So I do have a question about, this is something I've wondered and then listeners have actually asked me this as well. So we know there's all these benefits to sleeping in a cooler environment. Is that canceled out if you are using like covers and bundling up at the same time.
0: Yeah, this is, this is, I guess one of my pet peeves. We're a smaller family-run company, obviously. So, you know, I don't have the Budget of a big mattress person. When a mattress company says, Are they going to be cooling? Most of the time, it's they've add gel flex into the bed and they don't really have a big thermal impact. They're trying to sell the thermal story, but I equate it to if you put on your Under Armour moisture wicking t shirts, that's not going to keep you cool when you're working out. You're still going to sweat. You're still going to interact, it may help wick the moisture away and your moisture wicking sheets. That's exactly what they do. If it's a cool sheet, they're, they're wicking moisture away from you. The most they're going to impact environmentally is two degrees. So even a fan, anything that moves air, if the fan is, if you're even under, like if you're just laying naked on your bed, a fan is going to change the temperature again on that basil, like environmental change at your body is two degrees. So it's not a substantial enough change to have an impact on your core body temperature and to really help you either cool or heat up or or do what you need to do. And that's really why we use water in those radiator tubes to have a significant enough impact on that temperature. In order to reach neutrality for most modern mattresses, the environment in there will heat up to our body temperature, which is 98 degrees. And we want to try to be 85 and below underneath the covers in order to be able to put off the heat we need to drop our core body temperature two degrees. So if we're covered up, if our mattress is giving off heat, Even if we've set our room nice and cool, you've basically created a separate little cave environment. And it's more important to understand what the temperature is inside that cave environment. And that's why for some people kicking off the covers, if it's 64 degrees, they can achieve a cool enough room to sleep. But a lot of us, like I like a blanket to cuddle up with. I need that anxiety-wise. I don't feel like I can sleep comfortably without a blanket. And so once you put the blanket on, then you need to think about what the temperature is under the blanket, not just in the room.
2: Okay, perfect. So this is the solution to, you know, if you like having the cold environment but still bundling up and still want to actually address the root cause and keep your your body cool, the chili pad can allow you to do that. And I do have a question. So I just have the single unit because it's just me. If you have a partner and you have one covering the larger bed, can you adjust different temperatures for the different people or is it the entire thing?
0: No, no. If we did that, Todd and I wouldn't have come up with it. I think, I don't think we'd ever agree on the right temperature. So your queen, your Kings, your cow Kings, All of those come with the equivalent of two remotes. So you each get to pick your own temperature. A crazy statistic about people sleeping at the same temperature versus not. Only about 4% of the population will sleep at the same temperature. That means they're agreeing on that ambient temperature. They're agreeing on the weight of the blankets. And they're agreeing on, on that mattress state of how hot it is. So a really small portion of the population can agree if they're sleep partners. Men and women... You know different temperaments, metabolisms it's a pretty wide spectrum of how we how hot we get, and that means very different temperatures in bed. Well, thank you. thank you for addressing that with a chili pad
2: and I'm so grateful so listeners, if you are interested, like I said, they're just life changing they really are. You can actually use the coupon codes. we have a discount for listeners. thank you so much for this Tara. so you can get twenty five percent off the chili pad, which is Amazing. Just use the coupon code MA25, or you can get 15% off the Ulur, which I actually haven't tried the Ulur, so I might have to get one of those for myself. And for that 15% off, that is MA15. I will put links to all of this in the show notes. Again, the show notes will be at melanieavalon.com slash chili pad. And then one last thing, Tara. So I ask the same question to every single guest that comes on this podcast. And it's really appropriate to what you were talking about, actually, it's because I realized how important mindset is in health and wellness and well being and especially with you talking about the sleep tracking and stuff that, you know, just the perception of that might be important. So what is something that you're grateful for?
0: In full disclosure, I was in jury duty this week and had to preside over a boy that was the same age as my oldest son at 21, and he ended up being convicted of a crime. And I have felt like this week, I am just really grateful for my family and my boys and all the opportunities I've been given in life because we all are not... afforded the same opportunities to all the basic things of just love and caring and good family and the opportunity to share hugs and love in that family environment. And it's made me really grateful for that just simple, simple thing of my, you know, family tribe is really awesome. And I'm super grateful for them this week.
2: Oh, I love that so much. And, and thank you so much. I'm so grateful. You've, you've really done something amazing for the world. And I, I mean that so much with the Chili Pad. So thank you. Thank you. So I'll put links to your website. Is there any other way or any other work that you'd like to put out there or links for listeners to follow your work, especially if they're interested in this whole science of sleep and temperature?
0: Absolutely. So I did a TEDx talk in December that's on the TEDx YouTube site. You can find me there. It's How a Sleep Recipe Changed My Life. I have a book that's available on Amazon. It'll be coming out in print at the end of March, but it's available on Kindle on Amazon. It's called Reprogram Your Sleep. And if you just want to ask more questions, I do have a website. I call myself The Sleep Geek. You can follow me on social media as The Sleep Geek, depending on where you're Social media of preferences, but you can also go to my site and there'll be links to all that there.
2: That is so fantastic. For listeners, I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Thank you again, Tara. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the chili pad. This has been absolutely wonderful and I learned a ton. And you know, hopefully, we can talk more about it all in
1: the future. Absolutely